week 13, a time to testify. I love that word, testify. Whenever I hear that word, I think of old gospel church. Testify, testify. Test, everyone, just look at your neighbor at home. Just say it like in the most annoying. Jacob, say it in the mic. I think that people need to hear just your like most annoying testify. 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 Just someone say it. Testify. All right, I'm lame. A time to testify. Continuing in our study of Acts, our last, our last message was called, When God Sends You. We saw that last week, When God Sends You. It might not make sense at the time because God is not just dealing with you when he sends you to an assignment or sends you to do something. There's a lot more going on that you're aware of having to do with other people, other situations, and God, God does not need people who are but first people. We talked about that last week. He doesn't need people who, when God says go, we say but first let me take care of this. God needs people who will say, yes, we're going to go wherever you go, uh, wherever you want us to go, whenever you want us to go, no matter what it takes, no matter what we have to lose, no matter what we have to sacrifice, we're going to go after you, God. We're going to go on assignment, and we're not going to give any but first for it because when God sends us, we're going to say yes, even if it doesn't make sense because we understand that a lot more is going on than meets the eye. Peter experienced this last week, and specifically Peter and Cornelius. Peter had a revelation that the God of Israel was not the God of a specific country necessarily, that the God of Israel was a God of all, and it didn't matter if someone was Jewish or Gentile or whatever, everyone was worthy of God because of one thing. It was the blood and the sacrifice and the body of Jesus Christ. He gave up himself, and he is the Lord of all. Peter had a revelation that God plays no favorites, and God says he is the Lord of all. It don't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, Greek nor Jew, no matter what it is, God is a God of all. Peter recognized there's no favorites. We cannot call unclean what God has called clean. In the midst of it, Peter had a vision. Cornelius had a vision. Uh, God told Cornelius to send some people to Peter. God told Peter to go downstairs to meet some people that were coming for him. And there was no but first. They were just answering the call. And they found out that all kind of stuff was happening. And in this chapter tonight, we're going to read a little bit of a recap of that. So I'm not going to get into it too much. But there's a lot of stuff going on all at the same time confirming that God is doing more. That when God sends us, we've got to go because God is doing some more things than we can even see or meet the eye. So Peter gets to the place of Cornelius in Caesarea, and he starts to deliver a message for all the people in Cornelius's place. And we see that all of these Gentiles, all of a sudden, in the middle of Peter's message, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and Peter says, all right, what more proof do you need that God's working? These are a bunch of Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They weren't of the Jewish culture. They didn't meet every requirement of Moses' law. They just simply were seeking God. And in the moment, in the middle of the sermon, the Holy Spirit interrupted, and it fell on them. And people were saved. So picking up in Acts 11, we see Peter going back to Jerusalem after this whole experience of Gentiles 
receiving the same degree of God that the Jewish people received. So in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, now you would have thought that when Peter went out and people got saved by the hundreds, you would have thought when Peter came back to Jerusalem, there would have been some celebration. There would have been some, heck yeah, people got saved. But when we look at verse 2, it says, but when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and you even ate with them, they said? They got news that people got saved, and the first thing they did was criticize the process, just like a Christian. Christians do that way too much. I'm guilty of that a lot. I'm not so above anyone that I can't admit when I do a little too much criticizing and not in the praising, not in the celebration. And I think there's a wake-up call that needs to happen to be a church on fire that we need to cut the criticism and start the celebration that if God is moving in our midst, there is so much good that he is and that he is about that we need to cut the criticism and focus on what is good and what is right. A huge part of the culture at this time was centered around the sharing of meals. Matter of fact, you read back through the Gospels about the stories of Jesus, most of them either began or in the middle, or ended with something to do with gathering around a meal. The, the Jewish culture was huge about meals. It wasn't just a casual thing. Right before the live, the, the live stream site, we were getting ready, because some of us get here at 2 o'clock, getting uh, everything set up, 1.30, whatever it is. Um, we got some, some very holy Taco Bell delivered to us to get a quick snack, and it was very casual. You know, there are some of us in the foyer at Relentless, and uh, we had the, the, the bean burritos and the nachos bella grandes and the, the, the taco, uh, the, the, the soft tacos and the hard tacos and, and, and the red sauce and the orange sauce and the mild sauce. I got the extra mild. If, if y'all know me, I, I, can't, I can't handle the spice. But it was very casual. You know, we just stand around. We kind of eat real quick, and it's done. But back then, it was a much bigger deal than what we in America make it. In America, it's, it's a very, let's eat, let's get it done. But in the Jewish culture, it was a big deal. Now, when Peter is coming back, you would have thought that they would have taken this very special, very big deal time of eating together to celebrate, wow, this is great. All these people believe the Holy Spirit fell on Gentiles just like us. God's great. But no, 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 no. They took a very special time, and all they could do was criticize. Criticizing the process. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Don't let any corruption come out of your mouth, except the only thing that should be coming out of your mouth is what is necessary for edification. What is edification? To build up, to edify, to build up, to encourage. Everything that should come out of our mouths has a purpose. It is to build up people and for people to receive a deeper revelation, it says, of grace. It says that it would build up people and impart grace to believers. 
So every time we come together, right now you're in your homes. We're in the middle of a quarantine. In case you're wondering why I'm all fidgety, my, my back's hurting, my shoulder's hurting, my head's hurting, so just pray for me out there if you can. But in the midst of a quarantine, we have everyone together. Some of you probably right now are watching. Maybe you got some food. Maybe you're sitting around your living rooms. Maybe you're at a tablet or a, a phone by yourself. I don't know where you are. But we all gather together. And it says that when we gather, the only thing that we should be speaking of are things that should build each other up. And when you speak it, it should be spoken in such a way that grace a deeper revelation of grace is revealed to believers. What is revelation? It is a revealing of what is. We can always benefit from more revealing of grace. And I think that some of us have lost the idea of what grace is because nothing of what we say is revealing grace through our lives. Nothing we say testifies about any of the grace of God. Nothing we do testifies about the grace we have received with free life in Jesus. All we do is complain. Well, I can't go to the store. How come they can go to Home Depot, Walmart, but we can't meet as a church? How come this? How come that? Why can't I do this? Why can't I get that? Why do they get money? How come I don't get money? It's always a criticism. The government does this. The government does that. That church does this. That church does that. And nothing being spoken of is, relief, is releasing a deeper revelation of grace amongst believers. You want to know why the church is weak? Because we are not going deeper in our revelation of grace and we're not going because we're not going deeper we're not walking in a certain way and we're not going deeper because we're not hearing anything but criticism just like these Jewish believers when Peter returns after hundreds of people got saved I talked about how sharing a meal was very significant it was a significant time of fellowship in that time and in that culture and for them the idea that a Jewish man sat down with that cultural standard, sat down with a Gentile and ate, it was considered a significant compromise. It, 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 it would almost, like no offense if you're watching, but it would almost be like me preaching in this at the church I grew up at, Pooler First Baptist. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. They came up to the church. They drove by. Um, their old neighbor, they said hello, and we were talking about Relentless, and they were talking about Pooler First and how they're doing some good things over there, and I'm, I'm proud of you, Pooler First. If anyone's watching, um, they got a new uh, pastor, Brian Parrish. Uh, he, I met him at the Pooler Christmas Tree Lighting, a great guy, but they were like, uh, we were just talking about some different things in the church and cultural things, and, and, and the gentleman told me, he was like, yeah, you, you wouldn't be caught dead preaching if you didn't have a tie on. And it, it, it's like that kind of offense. You know, it's not a big deal. I used to be the type of person that would speak against that, but I don't really care. If you want to preach in a tie, preach in a tie. If you want to preach in jeans, preach in jeans. It doesn't really matter. As long as the Word of God is preached, that's all that matters to me. My point is, just like that, I could not show up in this in a traditional Baptist church. Why? It would offend the culture. It was that level of offense for them that a Jewish man would eat with a Gentile it was totally offensive, and all they could see was, why, could you, why did you do that? Why did you eat with that man? 
And what was happening in Caesarea could not be kept hidden. And the reaction of these Christian Jews shows how significant a change God initiated in a simple gathering of a Jew and a Gentile sharing a meal. What was God showing the people? This is what offended them. You don't have to become Jewish to get God. You don't have to put yourself under the law of Moses first to get God. What was being shown in this momentary place in Acts chapter 10, the chapter last week, is that there's only one thing you need. Repent and believe that you're worthy because of what Jesus did. And they could not wrap their minds around the simplicity of that. You know what? You want to know why they couldn't? Because they have forgotten themselves how special it was when they first had the revelation of how amazing and how loving that Jesus of Nazareth was. They, they had forgotten their first love experience with Jesus Christ. And I believe that we need a significant change in the church that would cause this whole region to shift and look and take notice that things are happening because everyone is going back to their first love experience. Because what happens these days is in church, and I'm guilty of this too at Relentless, when people come to know Jesus, it's almost like this simple pat on the back. It's like, yay, amen, thank God. And we've lost the significance of what that was for us. I want you to think about for a second how you're dealing with this whole COVID-19 and, and work layoffs and everything we're going through. Most of what we're doing is complaining and bickering. And we're wishing things were better. And we're getting sick of each other at home. And we have forgotten to take notice If God did so much for me that I fell in love with him to say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Why is everything you're doing in complaint, in misery, anxiety, depression, fear, hurt, pain, you're miserable? Because you have forgotten what it was like when you first met him. These Jews are complaining because they've gotten so used to the day-to-day -day Christianity that they didn't see, wow, they got Jesus. They saw you ate with a Gentile. You broke custom. You offended our culture. And I believe that it is time to testify about what God did in a much deeper way. It's not just Jesus saved. It's a revealing of what that really means beyond a generalized idea of eternal life in heaven. Do you remember 
what it means for Jesus to save you? That God made a way for you to go straight to him with no boundary? You remember what happened last week? It says Peter was preaching to them and the Holy Spirit fell on them and they started speaking in tongues and they started praising God. Because when real change happens, I believe that there's an automatic realignment in two places. Whereas before, you had to start at those two places to get into his presence. I want to read Psalm 104. Is this okay? Psalm 104, it speaks about the law. It speaks about the temple. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. And bless his name. I've gone through this teaching many a times, or I did a whole series on it. But when there, in the in the times of of Moses, when God said, "Build me a place for my presence to rest," the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant, and in the temple, in the tent, the meeting place, if you will, there was three different areas. There was the courtyard, there was the holy place, and there was the most holy place. In order to get to the most holy place, first of all, no one could ever get there, except for one guy, once a year, called the high priest. That's why Jesus is now considered our high priest, because he went into the most holy place and sent what was in the most holy place to live in you. Do you remember that? He broke law of thousands of years and put it in you because it was separated, because it was so precious. And that precious thing that we could never get to now lives in you, and you think you still have a right to complain about your circumstances? It was in the most holy place, and before you got to the most holy place, you had to go through a system. You had to enter in, just like Psalm 100, you had to enter into the gates with thanksgiving to God. You walked into the courts with praise. Then you had to get clean. You had to wash up. You had to offer sacrifices. You had to repent. And then you you got to the holy place, and then it was allowing the high priest to get into the most holy place. There was all of this protocol. You had to enter in a certain way, and before you could ever get the presence of God, it started with two things, thanksgiving and praise. Now, because of what Jesus did, we can enter directly into his presence, directly into meeting him. And our first response is to repent for cleanliness. Think about that. Remember when you first got saved, you didn't get clean and then repent. You didn't get clean and then say, oh, Jesus. No, you entered into his presence because when two or more gather, he is there. You entered into his presence when you weren't clean. You saw him. You had an experience with him. You had a revelation of who Jesus was, and then you repented. You got clean, and the first response was you praised God. Look at how backwards that was from the law of Moses. What was the law of Moses? Thanksgiving, praise, clean, repent, presence. Now it's presence, repent, 
praise. Do you remember what he did for you? I wish I could get back to church. Maybe God's not going to allow it until you understand that you don't need it. What this is made for is the equipping of the saints, not the presence of God. You're made for the presence of God. What happens is, though, we have this experience with Jesus where we see him for the first time and we repent and we praise, but then we forget to enter back in every day with that posture of thanksgiving and praise. And we start trying to enter in with complaint and criticism. God, I wish you'd do something for me because this shore is miserable. God, I wish you'd show up because this shore is hard. Where's God at? Because this shore, I, this is not what I, no, and no one hears the testimony of our entering in with thanksgiving and praise. They never hear the test. It is, a, it is time to testify with your thanksgiving and praise every day so that people know where you stand and who you stand with. Because remember in Acts 10 when the Holy Spirit fell? I want to reread it. In Acts 10, last chapter, 45 through 47, it says, The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed at the gift that the Holy Spirit had been poured out in the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just like us? Those Gentiles got Holy Spirit just like us Jews did. They realized who Jesus was, moved directly into the presence, and they responded with thanksgiving and praise. It was an automatic realignment. Gentiles, who by law, could have never gotten into the presence of God. Do you realize what's been made available to you? Do you realize what you can enter into at your home, in your car, at your workplace? I need to get to church because I need to get in the presence. You have totally missed what he did for you. I hear that all the time from people. I need to get to church. I need to get a word. I need to get this. Did you forget what he did for you? It's not just about your eternity. He took away barriers. He took away boundaries. He said, now you get to enter indirectly even if you have not followed protocol. That's how much he loves you. Do you realize what God did long ago? Or have you lost the significance of it? When was the last time someone heard the testimony of your life change in Jesus? I think a better question would be, what do your words testify to? God? Your first love? Jesus? Or something else? When you go about your day, whether it be in quarantine or doing a shift or whatever it is, what, do you, what does your life testify to? Maybe it's time to testify. These Jewish believers... Instead of taking an opportune time to reveal a, de a deeper revelation of grace through the praise after hearing this testimony of what God was doing in Caesarea, all they did was they complained 
and they criticized. Well, it's a good thing Peter took six other people to witness what happens because what he's about to do, he's about to testify to the truth. Look what happens in Acts 11, starting in verses 4 through 17. I hope this is okay. Is this okay? Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. See, what had happened was, verse 5, I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. This is the recap. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky. It came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds. And I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I replied. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. I want to say that to you. Do not call your home unclean if God has made it clean. Don't call your husband. Don't call your wife. Don't call your kids. Don't call your friend. Do not call something unclean if God made it clean. If we would spend more time speaking into what God sees it as, I guarantee you we would see a shift in atmosphere. This happened three times, verse 10, before the sheet, and all it contained was pulled back up into heaven. And just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them, not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me. He said, I'm testifying. All these six guys right here, they came with me. And we soon entered the home of a man who had sent for us. He told us, an angel appeared to him in his home, told them, send messengers to Joppa, summon a man named Simon Peter. He'll tell you how, you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And just as he fell on us at the beginning, look at what Peter's testified. He said, Holy Spirit fell on them just like us. When it first happened, remember how it was, guys? In Acts chapter 2, y'all remember? We were sitting in the upper room, and we were seeking God, and all of a sudden, what looked like tongues of fire fell on us, and we started speaking in tongues. Remember that, guys? It happened just like that. And then I follow the Lord's words when he said, John, baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Peter explained the events and the testimony what took, took place with six witnesses. They saw that God was not a God of earthly culture. God was not a God of favorites. God was available to all. And look at their response after Peter testified to what happened and saying, do you remember how it happened to us? Look at verse 18. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. They shut their mouths and they entered in with thanksgiving and praise. And all the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, in a moment, all their customs and all their traditions of Jews don't eat with Gentiles, by the word of a testimony, was overcome. And we read Revelation all the time. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. But this is a specific example 
of what the overcoming looks like. What did they overcome? They could not enter into praise and thanksgiving for what God was doing because all they could do was criticize and complain that it didn't fit into what they wanted because they had forgotten how they received it at first. And I wonder if the reason why we're so full of criticism and complaint is because we have forgotten what it was like at first. Do you remember that moment? when you first realized how without you were when Jesus was not in your life and the Holy Spirit had not filled you? Do you remember what it was like when you first felt him? The testimony of all that God had done is not just a weapon to defeat the enemy. It's a way to overcome your own stuff that your eyes have not been opened to. You see, I called this message the time to testify and I told him again this was a personal message because I'm not just telling you to go out and testify to the world. Some of you are full of complaint and criticism and worry and anxiety and depression because it's time to testify to yourself, to remember what it was like when you were without him and then what it was like when you first met him. Testimony is also for you. And sometimes you just got to testify to remember. I remember when I first met Jesus, after I had been baptized a couple times, I went to this camp when I was in middle school. I might have been in high school. I can't remember. It's called Cross Point. It's a sports camp. Not sure why I was there because sports was not my thing. <laughs> but I was there at Cross Point, and I can't remember it exactly moment for moment, but I do remember in worship, I was standing there, and in a moment, I got it. And I realized I wasn't just singing songs and doing movements. I was singing to someone. And he was worthy of what I was singing. And I found myself loving a man named Jesus who I had never seen. And when I realized how much I loved the man that I had never seen and loved the God that I could not see with my own eyes, I said to myself, I want that. Remember what it was like for you? When, you? when you first realized how real he was? When you first realized how without you were? Peter said, do y'all remember? When we first got filled, they just had this same experience. Who are you to tell them that they're not worthy? But we don't like to do that. You want to know Why? You want to know why we don't like to testify to ourselves? You want to know right now it's so hard for you to remember what it was like? You want to know why it's so hard for you to want to just break out in a tear? You want to know why it's so hard for you right now to remember what it was like when you first met Jesus? Because our hearts and our minds are not always truly open to being corrected and realigned. Let me read a passage in Ephesians 4, 17 through 18. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Gentiles referring to anyone who was not a believer. For they are hopelessly confused. Why are they hopelessly confused? Verse 18. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them because they have closed their minds 
and harden their hearts against him. Why are they full of darkness? Why are they full of ignorance? Their minds and hearts are closed off and are hardened. They're not soft enough to be molded and corrected through truth and teaching. Where are you? Has life made your heart hardened and your mind so closed that you don't feel him anymore? That you don't know how to enter in anymore? That you it's easier for you to accept the reality of how hard and how hurtful it is than how wonderful it is that you are in the arms of a loving father? But the reality of your hateful father is easier to accept than his grace. The reality of a broken relationship is easier to see than a restored one. Where are you? Is your heart so hardened that you can't even remember what it was like to fall in love with Jesus? And you wonder why no testimony is coming out of your mouth and no one's hearing grace. All they hear is what Peter heard when he came back home, complaint and criticism. Is this speaking to anybody? You don't even want to hear about great things because you would rather sit in your own misery hoping for your own breakthrough when it would come from a simple receiving of a testimony, even your own. Jeremiah 24, 7 says this, I will give them hearts that recognize me as the Lord. They will be my people. I will be their God. Why? They will return to me wholeheartedly. Return. You know what returning is? Repentance. They will return to me with a whole heart. Maybe you need a moment to testify about some things that have happened, to remind you of how great he is. So your reaction is like these Jews in Jerusalem when they remembered the first time that the Holy Spirit filled them up. They shut their mouths, they shut their thoughts up, and they responded with an, oh, kind of praise when they remembered their response is they entered in with thanksgiving and praise and some of you at home are finding it very difficult to enter in with thanksgiving and praise in your day-to-day life you know it i know it god knows it you know what the answer is it's time to testify you need to remember You need to get back to your first love of Jesus. Time for a recharge. I feel like this is ministering to some people tonight. I want to read 1 John 5, 5 through 12. Who can win this battle against the world? And I know I've asked that question a few times. Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water, by his shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood and the spirit, who is truth, which confirms it with his testimony. We have three witnesses, the spirit, the water, the blood, all three agree. If you remember last week I talked about in the Old Testament, it says in order for a case to be proven, it has to have the testimony of two or three witnesses. You have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You have three witnesses to the truth of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, the water, and the blood. Not only that, but he says when two or more of you gather, I am there. 
continuing in verse 9. Here's where it gets good. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. There's no dispute that something happened to the, to the uh, men called believers in Acts chapter 2. There's no dispute that we saw his blood shed. There's no dispute that a crazy guy named John the Baptist who was living, you know, in the wilderness with like locusts and honey baptized his, you know, cousin. Or, and you know, there's, there's no dispute about all this. Surely you can believe that testimony. God testified about his son, verse 10. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. He's, all this buildup, you've got the son, you've got the water, you've got the blood, you've got, you, you've got the spirit. All of this testifies to this. He has given us eternal life, and that life is in his son. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Let me read that again. Whoever has the Son, Jesus, has life. What did God testify? You have life if you claim the Son. And yet we walk around speaking more truth about what we have to fight than testify to others and to ourselves about the fact that we don't have failure, we do have victory, we don't have death, we have life. Why are you walking around with your head down when the testimony of God himself is this? You have life. Why do you look beaten? You have life. Why do you look defeated? You have life. Why do you look ashamed? You have life. We always look at what's next and the next battle and the next fight. There's nothing wrong with that. I think we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of what's the next battle, the next fight, and the next thing, and the next, the next wall, the next boundary, the, the next mountain. We need to be aware of those, but we cannot adequately prepare for what's next without remembering your first love. In Revelation 2, a message was written to the church in Ephesus. I want to read you three verses of what the letter said. Revelation 2, 2 through 5. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not. You've discovered they're liars. You've patiently suffered for me. You're not, you don't quit. Those are all great things. But verse 4. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. 
Oh yeah, you you're doing all the stuff right. You 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 don't tolerate evil. You're you're making sure that people don't call themselves apostles. They're not apostles. You you're figuring out who's lying. Um, you you're, you're suffering. You're not quitting. You're not giving up. You're doing all this right. But I had this complaint. You don't love me, and you don't need to love each other as you did it as you first did. Verse five. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. We fall so far from first love. And we have got to return. What if that is what God wants to use this time for? In quarantine and being, what if, what if that's what God wants? What, what if He's trying to say, use this time to return to understanding what it was like when all you could do was depend on Me? You want to know why you're complaining? Because you're depending on everything else. When you have life, to return to our first love that we lost relationship with in the garden that we gain through a crucifixion and a resurrection. There is a time to testify so that you will remember what it was like when you first fell in love with God because he sees us far away when our lives don't match with what we decree. Luke 13, 1 through 5 talks about repentance a little bit. It says, about this time Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. He says, you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Not at all. You'll perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. What about the 18 people who died when the tower in Shalom fell on them? Were they worse sinners in Jerusalem? No. I tell you again, unless you repent, you'll perish. You see, the believers forgot about something, and obviously Peter did too in the last chapter. If you don't repent, you won't have life. What are you repenting from? What are you repenting? You are repenting from where you have lost relationship and returning to a first love that we lost in the garden. He says, if you don't turn back to that, you're not going to have any life. So if you're at a place where you feel like you don't have life, life more abundantly, where you're hanging on by a thread, it's not because God's not there. It's time to testify to yourself and remember your first love. And many of us are walking around life, lifeless when life is readily available. Continuing in this chapter in Acts and we're getting there. In Acts 11, verses 19 through 24, it says, Meanwhile, the believers who have been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, someone shout, however. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch Someone say Antioch. Some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. 
The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he didn't criticize and he didn't complain that they were Gentiles. It says he was filled with joy. And remember what the scripture says? When something comes to your mouth, it's to edify and build up. It says he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. He took the testimony. He didn't complain. He didn't criticize that they were Gentiles instead of Jews. He used the testimony of life change to strengthen, to build, and edify the church. And because of that, many more got saved because it was a time to testify. He remembered what it was like. In closing, in Acts chapter 11 and verse 25 and 26, it says, then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. Y'all remember Saul? He had been away for a time. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch. Remember I told you to say Antioch. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. It had, it's been about 12 years since the last time we heard about Saul in the, in, the, in the time span of Acts since the road to Damascus to right now in Acts chapter 11. About 12 years. Saul had spent all that time quiet in ministry preparing for future service when God would send him. The question I had when I read this, why now? Why didn't God send Saul earlier? Well, I want to read verse 20 again to you. Acts eleven twenty. 20. Remember, everyone else was preaching to Jews, but in 20, however, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles. Antioch is where they began preaching to the Gentiles. This was all happening while... Peter was having experience with Gentiles and then got criticized for it. And God said, when I asked, I was trying to, I was like, God, why, why, why now? Why, why did he choose at this moment, 12 years later, to send Saul? Because Saul had a road to Damascus experience. He, his eyes were blinded. He, he saw God. He knew God. I mean, he, he, he was in it. Why, why now? Well, who better to bring in the priest of Gentiles than the most famous killer of Christians who was now so in love with Jesus that's all he could talk about. Because Saul was on the other side. Saul was evil in the eyes of Jewish people. He was killing believers. If you called yourself someone who believed in the way, the truth, and the life, he, he, time to kill you. Not coincidence that Saul was the one chosen 12 years later. It's time. I want you to remember when you first fell in love with me. 
because I want you to take that message and I want you to go to Antioch where no one else is going. He was called there because it was a time to testify by his first love experience with Jesus. And in the last verses of Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. Everyone giving as much as they could. They, this they did in trusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. Now think about what Antioch was full of. It wasn't just Jewish believers. It was Jewish and Gentiles who believed in God. And even though Jerusalem and Judea had a reputation of no Gentiles allowed, because they were so unified under their awakening of first love with Jesus, they said they don't care what they say, they don't care what's been heard. Let's put together all the resources we can because God just said they need it and we're sending it. They no longer saw each other as separated. It was no longer those are Jews and we're Gentiles. They finally got it. We're one church. And if God tells us there's going to be a famine, we're going to support our church family and get them ready for it. Can you imagine what kind of testimony the church would get to this world seeing us that unified? And we love to talk about we want unity in the church. But we're not going to get it if we don't get where it all begins with. Are you at a place where you are in recognition and remembering Jesus? You're so in love with him that it's transforming everything you say and everything you do. There's always a time to testify. Sometimes it's for others. Sometimes it's for you. And I want to encourage you tonight, today, whenever you're watching, you may be at a place where you're, you're down and you're under and you feel like you're under a lot of a lot of pressure and stress and anxiety and hurt and pain. But God says his testimony is that you've got life. So if you're not walking in life, if you're not experiencing the, the fragrance of life, if you're not experiencing the, 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 the beauty that is Jesus, it is time for you to testify and remember what it was like when you first fell in love with him. Go back to your first love. Go back to the garden. Go back to the place of walking in the cool of the day with the Lord, the moment when you woke up and realized how real he was and start to walk in that life. Let it flow into your kids, your marriage, your relationships at work, in home, and friendships. And let's be on church on fire that people would hear the testimony in every word we speak. And as we speak these words of life, because we're living under the revelation of first love, grace will be revealed in all we are. It's time to testify.